Today we have with us Zorairi AR from Malay Mail to discuss the biggest and latest news pieces that affect us here in Malaysia. Hi Zorairi, thank you so much for joining us today for Front Page. Hi, a uh, pleasure to be uh, here again. All right, let's get straight to discussing what's been happening in Malaysia. Uh, we recently had our one-day parliament sitting on the 18th of May. Our Agong actually said that, you know, Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin has the majority support, albeit for, for 114 out of 222 in his speech and also Tun Dr. Mahade's vote of no confidence was postponed indefinitely. So what are your thoughts on this? Well, we finally had that. It's not even a one-day sitting. It was a more like half-day. Uh, and I think uh, it was uh, late bear finally that um, Tan Sri Muhyiddin had a very slim margin uh, despite uh, claiming that he commands the majority of Dewan Rakyat. Uh, during the sitting itself, uh, 114 uh, members of parliament sat on the government side. But even then, afterwards, uh, at least one of them has already admitted that uh, he was still with uh, the opposition. I think there was Masih Kujat, the member of parliament for Sri Aman. And uh, I think what can be summarized from this half-day sitting was that it was quite a waste of resource. Uh, it was a waste of time for the members of parliament to uh, just go to the Dewan Rakyat and just to listen to the king's address. Uh, as many has mentioned before, if it was only restricted just to the Agong's address, it could have been uh, broadcast even straight from uh, the palace itself, saving everyone uh, costs, uh, resources and also time. Uh, and also would help in trying to prevent any infection. And it was also a waste of time for the media, most of whom could not even cover the sitting. Uh, you even had one of the reporters fainting because he was left in the hot sun outside. Uh, and above all, uh, all this sitting has not uh, achieved anything. And later on, uh, even the minister uh, in charge of parliamentary affairs, Datuk Takiyuddin Hassan, admitted that the sitting was merely just to uh, fulfill constitution, constitutional obligation. We have to have that sitting in a certain uh, amount of time or otherwise the, the um, parliament would have to be dissolved. And that was essentially the reason why that sitting happened. It had nothing to do with uh, to prove uh, that the Prime Minister had the command of majority. It has nothing to do uh, with uh, trying to help uh, the country that is currently facing COVID-19. And I, I think it's just, it was just something that was for formality reason. Now, with most businesses going back, um, you know, to work and everything, the next sitting has been scheduled after July 13, uh, which is about two months from now. In your opinion, do you think that this is too long a wait for the next parliament sitting? Because there's so many pressing issues right now to be discussed. Yes, way, way too long. Uh, two more months. We are already going uh, close to two months of the uh, conditional uh, movement order. Uh, sorry, movement control order. Uh, and already with the partial lockdown of two months a lot of people have suffered, a lot of people have lost their jobs, lost their incomes, um, and already waiting two more months um, to get uh, relevant bills and laws to be enacted uh, to, help, uh, to, to help our country to go through this very, very uh, arduous period is, is very, very much questionable. And I think we have seen in the past few weeks and months how not having the parliament uh, sitting to enact any bills and laws uh, has left our government toothless. Uh, in a lot of issues regarding COVID-19, 
our government can only recommend and urge, you know, for example, uh, employers, uh, businesses, and even the general public. They can only, um, even though we have certain laws and SOPs regarding COVID-19, but for a lot of things, for example, on employment, on letting people work from home, for example, the government can only urge and recommend this to employees and they, they cannot enforce it uh, with any laws. And that is a problem. And I think uh, a lot of the issues could be solved just by uh, our members of parliament meeting and enacting certain laws, as we have seen in many countries. And for example, our neighbor, Singapore, mm. I mean, it does not take much, really. Yeah. What do you think on both sides of the fence saying, because uh, Diago actually mentioned uh, no politicking, this is not the time for doing it. And then both members of uh, parliament from both sides of the fence actually agreeing. Uh, but is that just for the cameras? I think it is very much important. I mean, it, it is it is not... Uh, two exclusive issues. You can still run a country because, you know, we, we, we do have our own civil servants already keeping the country afloat all this while. Uh, so it's not exclusive. You can have uh, running the country while COVID-19 is going on and you can also ensure that we have a democratic, uh, our democracy is still being kept and uh, we have a government that uh, has support of the majority. And, and, and I think that is not uh, exactly exclusive to each other. Do you think this has to do with the vote of no confidence, which has now been sort of pushed out of the window? Uh, it's, it is easy to, uh, you know, come to that conclusion, you know, because um, you have to remember that even before all this is happening, uh, we were already planning for uh, at least one day sitting with debates. And it was only in recent times that, um, the speaker decided, you know, on advice of the prime minister, you know, not not uh, independently of himself, uh, to shorten the sitting to just after the king's address. And I think uh, that is uh, understandable how a lot of people would uh, see it this way. So we'll just have to wait and see until July 13th to see if any laws can be passed as reg- with regards to you know, businesses and COVID-19 and how we're going to revive the economy again. Okay, let's move on to our next article. And this one's related to parliament as well. Um, It's all about building a virtual parliament. Would a virtual parliament be in the best interest of Malaysia at this point in time? I was quite surprised uh, to read the article because it quoted uh, up to two to five million ringgit to set up virtual parliament. And (laughs) it straight away got me thinking this is the kind of a price that you quote to the government so you can, you know, and then outsource it and then get profit out of it. Because, I, I don't know, you, uh, we have already seen virtual parliament being implemented in a lot of countries. In the UK, for example, uh, and I think there, there is a, a slew of numbers of uh, countries that have already, I mean, it's not actually a virtual parliament. They call it a hybrid parliament where they still uh, meet and sit in the parliament, but they also have other MPs joining in through uh, video calls. Mm-hmm. And the the question is not uh, whether um, we can or we not, but the question is we should have done this long time ago. And the reluctance of the government to enact this hybrid parliament only shows how much that you know it, it does not really want to meet uh, to to enact laws. It's, it's just finding excuses for me. Yeah, I mean we are on. We're recording on Zoom right now, the three of us. We've done recording with like 50 people before and Zoom is almost free, right? <laughs> so do we need even... You, you, do, you do have to pay, I mean, but yeah, you you have know, to pay it's, not, it's not two million. But it's yeah. not two million ringgit. Like, do we even need to spend the money? 
for a virtual parliament, especially, I mean, you know, hopefully this COVID-19 pandemic will be over very shortly and it might not be an issue anymore to, to convene in the parliament. I think it would still take a long time for COVID-19 uh, to subside. And I think... Uh, a lot of medical professionals have said that you know uh, it is there is a very big possibility that we just have to live uh, with COVID nineteen uh, over the years uh, until a vaccine uh, is found, and even then uh, we still have to uh, you know things like keeping our hygiene and uh, social distancing and all that. But I think when you when we talk about virtual parliament, we have to agree that a lot of things with our parliament are archaic. For example. Um, attendance and voting all of those are done manually and even even the press does not have an access to whether an mp is uh, present in one day in one sitting or not and how he voted so this these are the sort of things that we need to repair and advance in our parliament bring it bring it to the future i mean not even future is present and i think covid-19 has laid bare the kind of things that you know that we need to uh, fix with uh, how the parliament is being run and having this sort of virtual parliament and other uh, you know electronic ways uh, such as voting and recording and all that uh, it will be beneficial for the for many years to come so let's try and push for a virtual parliament then <laughs> maybe an earlier sitting of the parliament but are there any cons to this though i mean obviously besides the price tag are there any cons to a virtual parliament? Well, there is certainly because, you know, having our MPs meet online is definitely not going to be the same uh, with, uh, you know, having them face-to-face. I mean, of course, you can call it a pro as well because you, you won't have such petty fights <laughs> when you're, you know, having a lag in connection between each other. Uh, but uh, from what we have seen in other countries, I mean, I've, I've, I've read reports of uh, parliamentarians in Canada, for example, and also the UK, they, they do mention that, you know, they do not have the same feeling when they're talking in their, uh, you know, living room. They mm. don't feel like they are representing the public in that way. Uh, not, not like when you are in a hall with all your, uh, you know, friends from the same side and also facing uh, the other side. So that may be one of them. But we, we would never know if we don't have this. So, yeah. <laughs> well, this is- You won't know until you try. This is going to be the new normal, you know, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's not just Parliament. I mean, we're working as well, uh, us having uh, all these online conferences, webinars, uh, working from home. I think we just uh, need to uh, put it in our heads that, you know, this this is going to be norm and all our employers and all the government has to come with this. Yeah, I mean, for us, it was weird at first to interview people via video conferencing as well, you know, not being able to see, see you face to face sort of, but yeah. it's become a norm for us now. It just takes a while to get used to it. I just got this message this uh, from, from the news here that says man sentenced to death via Zoom call. It's a first oh, yeah, for yes. Singapore. Yes. <laughs> you know? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Okay, if you can be sentenced, you can make laws via Zoom. <laughs> yeah, why not, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on to our next article. Uh, this one is exciting. Um, Riza to walk free. Now, what are your personal thoughts on this turn of events? Okay, um, I think I think a lot of us are focusing on how this sort of like subverted justice in a way because uh, he does not have to be... I mean, basically, he was discharged in return uh, for certain things. For example, um, 
yesterday we find out that he may be one of the prosecutor's uh, witness uh, in the trial of Dato Sri Najib Razak's uh, 1MDB case. And uh, we have also, uh, uh, the Malaysian Anti-Corruption Commission has also said that, um, I think what I think the authorities all this while, they they seem to be trying, rather than to achieve justice, they, are, they, they seem to be trying to uh, just return whatever money that has been taken, uh, that has been embezzled back to, uh, to the country. And I think uh, this may be one of the reasons why uh, this decision uh, has been, that we have arrived at this decision. But I think a more pressing matter is how this decision uh, how how did we arrive at this decision? It has been very opaque, uh, and we have heard a lot of contrary uh, explanations from both sides. Uh, the MACC and also the current uh, Attorney General Tan Sri Idris Harun has claimed that this was a decision decision achieved by his predecessor Tan Sri Tommy Thomas, but uh, Tommy himself has declined and uh, has denied such a thing ever happening, and. Uh, the, the 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 mystery just goes just deepens every, especially uh, I mean today there is a report by uh, today being Wednesday uh, we have a report by Freeman said today uh, alleging what had happened behind the scenes um, of course the, the report still did not prove anything it, it, it did say that oh, while Tommy Thomas was aware of the uh, arrangement but he did not exactly. I mean, there was no proof that he did agree to that. So what, what, what we need here is for the government side, at least, you know, for Attorney General's Chambers, MECC, to come up with a paper trail to at least, you know, come clean on this. Otherwise, right now we are just having, you know, he says, she says kind of situation. Uh, and, the, and in the end, the public is left wondering how did we ever achieve a decision to just let Riza you know, being discharged and you know, for, for in return for what? Is it even worth it at this point? I mean, uh, just yesterday there was a report that uh, so far he has uh, agreed to let go uh, 600,000 ringgit that was uh, taken during the raid on, on the residence of Datuk Sri Najib, and, Najib Raza and his family. I mean, 600,000 ringgit, how, how, <laughs> was it even worth it? If, if that's the only thing that we get? Yeah, only the future can tell us about that. But, but what do you think is the most appropriate course of action moving forward? Yeah, I think we, we you know, I, I remember hearing a lawyer saying, you know, getting the DNA uh, discharge not amounting to acquittal does not mean that one is, you know, uh, free or free. you cannot be charged anymore. So I, I do not know how the current Attorney General's Chambers would want to go forward with this case, but I think many people, especially opposition, are seeing this as a dangerous precedent because you know, do do we will we see more of these sort of uh, deals uh, happening uh, with a lot of uh, politicians who have been charged with graft and a lot of criminal charges who are now in the side of the government. Uh, but of course, just like yesterday, the lawyer for uh, Datushi Najib Raza has been saying, you know, at least. According to him, at least Najib won't be one of those who would want a plea deal. He wanted to clear his name in the courts. So I think his case just started yesterday and we will, we will, we will go on until uh, tomorrow. So we will see more and more of these cases going to the courts and let's see what happens. And we may, we may need, we may see more clearly how the Attorney General's Chambers would want to uh, 
you know, deal with these cases. I think what the public and also, you know, the people want is just to have, to, to be sure that this doesn't happen to all these high-profile cases as well. Yes. Moving. Yeah, the, 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 I think the issue here is that all these cases uh, to seek justice takes a very, very long time and a very, very resilient uh, <laughs> persecution. And with the change of government recently, it has, in a way, you know, uh, uh, affected how people are viewing all these cases inevitably we cannot skip that now we'll we see, may a see a sequel, sequel to Wolf of Wall Street right now though. will we? To be free. <laughs> no. I'm, 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 I'm curious uh, how Datuk Sri Najib Raza has been uh, defending resources by, by touting the excellence of Wall, uh, of, the, of the movie and I was wondering how much of his supporters actually have seen the movie and would agree <laughs> with him afterwards after watching it and that guy that guy in the movie was actually jailed that guy oh. two stories of that <laughs> yeah it's ironic isn't it he was jailed because of all this <laughs> because uh, of all the things that he did behind the scenes okay so much drama but it's not art in imitating life right no yeah the way around the other way around <laughs> all right let's move on to our next article um well raya is uh around the corner and um there's with CMCO, right? We're in CMCO right now, and uh, there's been talks about relaxing some of its restrictions. But how important is it to still restrict interstate travel, in your opinion? Okay, I think the health director general, uh, Dr. Nushamdullah, has mentioned these times. Uh, the issue here is that a lot of the uh, red zones, as they call it, are situated in urban areas. Uh, Slangor is the state with the highest number of cases, uh, Kuala Lumpur as well. So what would happen with the interstate travel is usually uh, during this Ramadan and rice season, you would see people from urban going back home. And already we have seen a lot of these attempts. Uh, thousand, over 1,000 uh, vehicles have been turned back almost daily uh, ever since uh, this movement has been allowed, uh, which proved that, you know, even though people know that you cannot move into state, people are still trying, you know, trying their luck. And, you know, it, I, I find it funny when uh, yesterday a senior minister, Datuk Sri Ismail Sabri Yaakob, said he is baffled about people who are trying to, still trying to go back home despite not being, you know, he has not been allowed. And, and I think this is down much to the sort of communications that the government is doing towards the public on the ground. So there's a lot of um, contradictory um, issues that, 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 that made people think that it's okay or you they may try uh, to return home because you know we, we, we don't exactly have open movement but at the same time we don't actually have total uh, lockdown I mean some people can still travel interstate uh, for work for example uh, to return home after they are uh, being stranded elsewhere for example or meeting their spouses uh, and it's because of this that we have all these sort of situations. And, and, and yeah, I think it is very much important to uh, prevent uh, people with asymptomatic, uh, without any symptoms to return home and in turn uh, infect all those elderly people uh, that they are seeing when they return home. And I think that's the most important reason why we still need to restrict interstate travel, I think. Yeah, exactly. Because like what you said, people can travel interstate for work 
why can't they be allowed to travel interstate to just go visit? You said visit their spouses, right? Why can't they go and visit their... But isn't there some kind of permit though? Yeah, yeah. you still need to uh, apply uh, through the Gerak Malaysia app, uh, which is handled by the cops, uh, by the police. Uh, so yeah, that's another another thing, another layer of... And I think we have also seen, because of that requirement, uh, we have seen queues in police stations. Uh, yeah, it's a mess really. Yeah. My husband, because his office is in Trangganu, he had to go to the police station even after applying on the Garab Malaysia ad. He still had to go to the police station three times to mm-hmm. be able to get his permit to go go back to work. Um, but but what kind of SOPs, uh, to your knowledge, are in place to ensure that these travelers do not abuse this permit? Travel- I think we just have yeah. I think we just have to leave it to the uh, our police. Uh, we have to have trust in them for them uh, to verify all these uh, permits. And I think the issue here is not so much about uh, people abusing this permit, but also how do we do we actually have enough resources to handle all these permits? Uh, and in the breakdown of such a, uh, you know, facing such demands, do, do we have uh, enough uh, enforcement authorities to, you know, handle all those back lanes and all that. And I think that is uh, a more pressing concern. Yeah. Are you going, do you normally go Balik Kampung for Raya? Uh, actually, yeah, I haven't, usually every year we would Balik Kampung to Johor. But, you know, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but in the past two years, several years, I mean, going going back Balik Kampung every Raya or either future season is madness. I mean, the traffic jams, even if you manage to go Balik Kampung to return back to KL, oh, wow, I, I'm not sure if we will ever go back to, uh, you know, going Balik Kampung every year after this. Okay. So you are saying... So maybe the new norm. Yeah. Norm, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, new norm. Maybe we should just not have Bali Kampung anymore. <laughs> I don't. I don't think everyone will agree to that. But uh, perhaps it would give more excuse to those who don't want the Bali Kampung. <laughs> yeah, because um, Sham, one of our uh, Malay announcers on the drive-through, he's saying that um, his his parents-in-law are in Kuala Pila, and they're seeing people come in from you know from various locations to Bali Kampung. Mm, yeah. So they're yeah. asking them. Why cannot? Why you cannot come back? You know, <laughs> because everyone else is coming back. Why you cannot come back? <laughs> yeah. So it has. One thing they understand it's a safety issue, and now the cops are saying that they're going to be doing spot checks, uh, in uh, based on your <laughs> license plate number. So if you're in Kedah and then you spot a W or J plate, or oh, you're going to be in trouble. I'm like, how's that going to work? Yeah, I think uh, I find that the. the, the I mean, uh, even the Director General has been talking about this. I mean, that 20 people limit for Beraya, right? <laughs> I mean, like, it's so arbitrary. Uh, you have so many of these arbitrary numbers of people that can visit. Uh, and just yesterday, I think, when you're talking about the spot checks, uh, I think uh, the Minister Ismail said, you know, the police will check whether how, how many cars are parked in front of your house. So, I mean, <laughs> so people are already commenting, you know, people will just park in front of somebody else's house <laughs> in order to, to escape this. So, yeah. It, this is the kind of mess that you have when you say you don't, you don't outright either allow or just ban it altogether because mm. you need some political uh, benefit or political clout out of it, you know? You allow, but you don't also allow. You allow, but only 20 people. So, there's a lot of, you know, it, it will be a much uh, easier 
uh, for all our enforcement authorities if visiting during raya is just banned altogether that's what i think yeah okay nice last one so um our health dg has said that they're fine-tuning sops uh during the cmco for barbers and hair salons to be reopened and also <sighs> for child safety because at the at this moment um children cannot go to crowded areas like malls and whatnot so they're still looking into fine-tuning all these SOPs. And uh, I think a lot of men out there, they need haircuts. Yes. With hair yeah. salons and barbers still closed. Um, what type of SOPs will we be looking at to like ensure yeah. a person's safety at a hair salon? Yeah, I, I am grateful for my wife for having, you know, giving me this not bad haircut. I think. Okay, <laughs> So, Malay Mail broke that story where we talked with uh, certain barbershops uh, who admitted to offering house calls and also uh, from the uh, Bumi Putra Barbers Association saying, you know, the, the, the reality is barbers are suffering. They had to close the shops. Most of them uh, not even in the middle 40%. Some of them are in the bottom 40% of the households. Uh, so this has really hit them hard. And they are fuming because they do not see these SOPs applied equally. You know, some people with money can you know, secretly call them uh, for, for house calls, but, for, but they cannot even do that with the rest of the public. Um, and I think they have submitted uh, their version of what and an SOP uh, should be like, which you know, among others include disinfection, uh, wearing gloves, um, all the PPE and face masks, um, limiting people who can just come to a shop. And I think this has to be looked um, properly, not just for barber shops and hairdressers, but also a lot of you know, uh, all these um, uh, beauty or health services. And this is even more pressing because uh, the bar- barbers or barber shops were among those industries there was you know when 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 the economy was first started to get relaxed they were one of those who were in the list but then because of public backlash and rightly so they were taken off uh, the list but you know the, the reality is much different on the ground and i think and it's not just barbers i mean in general we are all losing our incomes we are all losing our revenues our profits as we are struggling um, to 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 just get by on every day and i think in a lot of the more successful countries, uh, there is less of this problem because the decision seems to be, it's okay, it's fine. We have a lockdown. We close all the business. But at the same time, as the government, we give enough so you can survive. You can go through this very hard period. And we go back to our earlier discussion on how the parliament is not sitting. So, when the parliament is not sitting, you cannot debate all this uh, amount of uh, money that is being uh, funneled to the ground. And because of that, you have people uh, who are either not getting enough or not getting at all. Or even when they have applied, they are still not getting their aid. And, you know, businesses are complaining they don't get, uh, they applied, but found out that the fund is already gone. You know, the, the sort of thing should have been 
uh, discussed in a parliament, but we are not seeing it. And as a you know, as a result, we are seeing a lot of people still suffering and may continue to do so in the next few months. But how about the economic stimulus packages that that the government has announced? So this cannot be rolled out unless it's been debated in parliament. Yeah, by right, it should have been debated and passed first in the parliament before it was rolled out. Uh, which is perhaps one of the reason why we are seeing you know the prime minister has announced it. Uh, I think more than hundred billion, but most of those came from the banks and it's mostly not 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 cash not hard cash it's mostly you know aids in moratoriums and loans and credit cards and all that the actual amount of the cash that is being disbursed to the public is much less and perhaps not nearly enough for the our population compared to other countries so, yeah. All right. Now, as a father yourself, Zurairi, like how important do you think these SOPs are, especially for to reduce the risk of children contracting yeah, COVID-19? Yeah, it is, it is undeniable that children below 12 are more susceptible and they are, a higher, they are at a higher risk of contracting COVID-19. Um, and it is because of this, we have the government and also health ministry uh, trying to restrict um, parents from bringing... And their children to public spaces, but uh, you also have to look at it another way. Um, sometimes we 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 have reported on this as well. Uh, sometimes parents just do not have any choice. You know, um, businesses has reopened, workplaces reopened, but daycare, schools, all this childcare has still not reopened. So what happens is that you have this imbalance where people still need to go to work, but they do not have anywhere. Uh, to leave their kids with. And this happens with shopping as well. You know, for single parents, for example, if you do not have a support system, you do not have a family that can help take care of your children, you just have left with no choice but to bring your children when you're shopping. I mean, what, what other choices are, are there for you? And uh, in our previous report, we have heard uh, single parents, single mothers especially, uh, who have been stopped from doing their groceries just because they have, they're have bringing their children and, and, and they have no choice. And how are you going to deal with this? Uh, you know, this conundrum. And again, we go back to all this uh, mismatch on how the MCO is being uh, implemented. In the, you know, you, you, it, does not, it does not match. You know, for example, the uh, school or daycare is still closed but business is open and how, how, how do you cope with that? So you have to have like several different laws for different pockets of people and then and then you get loopholes where other people will claim that why this person cannot can and this person yeah. cannot, right? Yeah even, yeah, even if you're not a single parent, right? I mean, the best the government could do just now is to urge employers to give some kind of leeway so one person can work one day and then work from home the other day. I mean, but if you have an act or law you could just you know tell all employees to do that you don't have to urge back for them to institute this because if you leave it to employers uh to businesses they do not have any incentive at all to allow parents uh you know to to work from home or even let them have some time off for their children because it, it does not bring any profit in a uh, in a landscape and an environment where they're already losing money and this is kind of conundrum that we're facing right now after listening to you I feel like it boils down to parliament sitting again and enacting <laughs> laws it's true <laughs> yeah. because right now that we have right now yeah 
it's everything. It's it's always great when you when you hear what they're saying on TV, and it's like, stay home, stay safe, you'll be fine. CMCO, everyone goes back to work, and everything's fine. But it's too broad because the devil's in the details, and every different industry and every single person has a different need, right? I think for me, it is uh, too big an issue to for the government to just give suggestion and hope that the people on the ground will follow whatever suggestion there is. Uh, it has because this is this is this is not normal life anymore. This is a public health crisis, public health emergency, and it it is one of those a uh, few times where the government has to take control of issues. You know, in in times of peace, we may you know not care so much about what the government is doing, but in this case, it is very much essential. That's what I think. Yeah, I remember when the CMCO first came in the play. People were going, yes, we get to go out. Wait, what does this really mean? Because we, it's so vague, right? Yeah, I think the media also, we, we have tried our best to explain certain, certain things. Uh, but even then, you know, there are a lot of things that need questioning and sometimes we just do not have the answers. So how do we explain this to our readers, you know, for example? Well, thank you so much, Zurairi, for joining us today and shedding light on some of, some of these issues that we've had in our minds as well. Uh, have a good Raya celebration. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Thank you. I, I, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. <laughs> Selamat Raya. Again.